0: Welcome to The Raw's Project, a podcast covering no bullshit, 100% real, raw, and unfiltered rags to riches stories from amazing human beings around the world with emphasis on life, personal development, family, tech, and marketing. Of course, I'm your host, Ivan Temokoff. and today I am joined by Kevin Wessels. Kevin, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, Ivan. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, before we start chatting you know about your story and, and, and some of the things that you know I would love to hear your thoughts on this, uh, I want to share a little bit of a background with the listeners and viewers. So Kevin Wessels is the founder and managing director of Rev Sherpers, a bu- boutique business growth advisory and customer experience strategy consulting firm for small to mid-sized businesses. He has over 10 years of revenue growth, acceleration, consulting experience, scaling global companies via strategic CRM and CX transformations using his intentionally proven and proprietary client connect formula. I would love to hear more about that here in a little bit too. Uh, a multi-published author, his specialties are building client-centric company cultures, improving sales and service, wrap productivity, increasing client retention, and revitalizing underperforming marketing and lead generation strategies to double revenues and create more consistent cash flow quickly, inexpensively, and with less effort. Well, that was a mouthful, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> oh, right on. Well said.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh thank you again for coming on the show. And um, before we hit record, you know, I know we're chatting a little bit, but um Let's let's start let's start from the beginning before we get into the business stuff and and everything that, that you've done. But let's take it way back. Let, let's go back to our early days. You know, let's hear more about you know your early days, your childhood. You know, upbringing, upbringing, uh, where you've been, what you've seen, and what led you up to what you're doing today. Sure, sure, absolutely. So it's
1: yeah, I've I've lived in a lot of places. So I'm willing to bet. Uh, more than most. Um, I actually counted it the other day. I've lived in 13 different places. Um, you know, I guess I, I was very fortunate enough to uh, be brought up in, in a fluid community. And my family just kept, I guess, getting promotions. And with those promotions, we would go from city to city, right? So I was mm-hmm. fortunate in that regard. Um, but over the course of my career and, and the friends I've made, the 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 people I've connected with in my network, I think I'm unique in that sense, because most people, they grow up in a particular region. And from what I've found, they usually stick around in that region for a a few reasons. One, their family's close, or they just like it. But, um, you know, I consider myself blessed to have uh, been exposed to so many different uh, areas of of the US. Um, You know, I've primarily been in the southeast grew up uh, mainly in atlanta for my formative years from 3rd grade through high school then on to nashville for college uh, the best big city i've been in was uh, chicago then i met my wife out in in denver and i joke with her it was it was downhill from there because we moved to to delaware of all places as she pursued her her academic degree but you know as i've uh, actually move from place to place, it became clear knowing that she, based on her career profession, uh, actually would be pursuing a PhD, a postdoc, an internship. And so she was going to have to continue moving. So uh, similar to my childhood, we just kept going from spot to spot to spot. And now we're in Houston, which we love. But uh, a little over a decade ago, I, I recognized, hey, I need to carve out a niche in a profession that allows me to be successful remote, and naturally, that's when I embarked upon my my consulting career. So I've been doing management consulting for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, originally I was working with some of the largest global financial institutions in the world, helping them uh, implement strategic uh, customer uh, transformations, digital customer experience. Uh, initiatives. And, you know, I had success with that. Uh, We were focused on primarily revenue growth acceleration. How do they operate more efficiently? uh, How do they better serve their customers just so that they'll stay with them longer? Right. Um, As time went on, um, you know, as I moved to Houston, I actually uh, got laid off and, you know, I always had the entrepreneur itch. And I thought um, you know it would be the appropriate time to go off on my own, leverage my knowledge, and be able to share my expertise with a market that, quite frankly, from a management consulting perspective, is underserved—the small business community.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's really cool that you said um, that you said that because you're right on. It is under underserved. That you know I think there's a shortage. But um, you said something at the very beginning that I think is really important. You said I've lived in more cities than most. And I think that's so important because I think you were exposed to a multi multicultural experience. And I will tell you this, you know, as an immigrant, I think that's probably one of the biggest things, one of the most beneficial things that I that I've been able to be exposed to. Obviously, Western culture, living in the United States, and living in what some people would call a third world country. <laughs> you know, I mean, growing up, you know, uh, Bulgaria, which is where I was born, you know, was a former communist country until '89 you know? And so like now when, when I tell people, you know, like, like, I mean, I was young, I was nine years old, you know, when communism was overthrown, but still, you know, I remember years where we couldn't celebrate Christmas. We couldn't put up a Christmas tree, you know, when, when most people would do that. Right. And it's just like, and I think that makes you more humble and grateful, uh, to understand. So, so for you, you know, you've been exposed to that and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think a lot of people don't leave their so-called domain because of friends, because of family, because I think they might be even afraid to step outside of the comfort zone. That's a part of it is that, you know, that that scarcity mindset, um, I should say. And so you got very early on. I mean, you were exposed to, you know, uh, a lot of big companies that you work with. I'm curious to know when you were, you know, working with those fortune companies, right? Like, what are some things that you picked up on that most of those brands, right, were struggling with? Like, were you able to identify like a, like a common trend of like, because I mean, these, you know, Fortune 100, 500, 1000, you know, 5000, you know, to be on that list alone, right, is an accomplishment. But let's face it, I'm sure there were a lot of imperfections that they had. So I'm curious to know from you, like, what are some of the constants that you were able to depict?
1: Yeah, yeah. Good good question. So uh, along the way, I, one thing I, I left out, I did have a chance to to study in Madrid in, in college. And then throughout my consulting career, a lot of the clients that I have helped, they had satellite offices throughout the world, right? And so that allowed me to, to leverage just my, my ability to uh, really relate, quickly establish rapport from with people from different backgrounds, um, so in doing so, as I would go in, perform a business diagnosis, perform a business health assessment, not just with the headquarters but with the various you know locations throughout the globe, it was clear that uh, you know HQ, if you will, always yeah. naturally they're calling the shots, but they really are not in tune with what's going on in some of their top producing offices, and. You know, that being said, the transparency, the collaboration, the communication between various departments and offices, uh, it, it's quite shocking how lacking it is, really. really? Um, yeah. I mean, so, so many of these brands, I mean, sure, people may have the standard A, hey, I can't stand it when I have to contact customer service, but it goes far deeper than that. Um, you know, besides having to be on hold for 20 minutes if you want to get a live body, besides having to you know, type in your thoughts over and over to get the right person with a mm-hmm. chat bot, with, with some sort of automated response mechanism, um, it, it's not just limited to the service aspect. In, in way too many of these large companies, in a way, they're so big that they have no insight on the complete client relationship uh, that their particular clients have with them. They don't know all of the products and services that their, their clients have. And as a result, the service levels suffer and they're not able to maximize those client relationships. And, you know, if they do encounter a sudden turn of events such as COVID, right, they're just not as prepared. And then instantaneously uh, they're, they're going to have a down quarter. So I think, people take for granted that a lot of these larger companies are well run. And I I think you'd be surprised if you (laughs) really uh, get in there and then take a deeper look.
0: Yeah. So as you're mentioning this, like uh, you know, it's not necessarily full red flags but like I think there were kind of like these uh, light bulb moments that was having in my head as you were as you were making that statement and I was hearing the necessity for personalization the necessity for humanization the necessity for uh, strong relationship building from a customer standpoint and it, it's so ironic I think because you know here in 2021 with with Covid nineteen, I think there's there's a much a higher demand for something like that. I think that's why over the last probably I don't know three years roughly, I would say the retail space specifically has suffered tremendously because I I think in part is they failed to pivot, and that was another thing that I think I, I picked up on is like failed to pivot in the sense that to be more adaptive to the marketplace. And that's exactly what you said is like, you know, a lot of these fortune companies don't really know who they're talking to. And I think that's where things like AI really are showing hopefully signs of life and ways to really interact in a more personalized level. When you talked about chat bots and you talked about communication and you talked about customer service, but I, I think that that's really moving forward for a lot of these companies. I think those are, those are necessary things to be able to sustain and grow and evolve. Because let's face it, I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I'm buying a product or a service, if I don't feel like I'm getting an experience, I'm not gonna buy, you know? It's just, and it doesn't matter what kind of a, a fortune company you are. I mean, whether it's product or services that you sell, cause it's one of the two that you're selling, right? But if, whether it's in a mobile app or it's through a website or, or even still in person, you know, if I'm by, which I don't really buy much stuff in person anymore, you know, but like if I don't feel like I'm getting an experience that I'm not going to buy. So it's interesting you said that a lot of these fortune companies are not putting an emphasis on better customer service, on better relationship building, on more personalized experience specifically um, with uh, their customers. So Let's talk more about, you know, RevSherpa. So I'm going to shift the convo because before this thought actually escapes my mind is, I know in your bio, you mentioned that, um, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, You have 10 years of revenue growth, acceleration, consulting experience, scaling global companies via strategic CRM and CX transformations using an international, excuse me, proven and proprietary client connect formula. Let's talk about the Client Connect formula. What is that? Sure, right on.
1: Um, so the actual framework for Client Connect derived from uh, the first book that I self-published on on Amazon. That is, in fact, its name, Client Connect. Mm-hmm. And it, it relates at its core to customer relationship management. And you know, going back to the, the late 90s upon the, the inception of, of CRM, um, as the industry has evolved, you know, it's no longer just a pure software play. It's not just about technology. It's truly a strategy, right? And so the client connect formula essentially starts with having the right culture throughout the organization. So if you have strong leadership in place, you have the appropriate level of um, executive sponsorship along with dedicated Stakeholders who truly represent the various uh, levels of the entire organization, you'll then be able to implement more effectively strategies throughout uh, the entire firm that create more engagement. Uh, as employees are more engaged, they'll be more productive. Mm-hmm. With higher levels of productivity comes better service. Right, so. Essentially, Client Connect is more of a comprehensive, multifaceted approach. It's not solely focused on lead gen. In this day of age, I know you have you know, digital marketing expertise. Uh, there are just so many new entrants and players who, you know, they, they talk to prospects yeah. and customers and they're like, oh, I guarantee I can get you on the first page of Google. And like, that's their only angle. You know, you got to get in there. There's far more to running a profitable business than you know, page one of Google. Right, right, right. We really try to, with the client connect formula, streamline, uh, simplify, automate, standardize lead gen, marketing, sales, conversions, onboarding, and then the ongoing customer experience and innovate the customer experience. Because as you just mm-hmm. noted, uh, really you need to make at every interaction point a memorable experience so that people. Uh, will stay with you. They'll be more loyal as a result of their higher satisfaction level.
0: They'll pay refer yep. Yeah. So, uh, okay. A few things that I wanted to touch upon because, um, and I, I'm actually been, think- been thinking about this. I probably need to start taking notes on some of these podcasts because thoughts are like running through my head. And then like one escapes and it's like, oh shit. Like I meant to mention that, but like now it escaped my mind. And so um, first thing you mentioned is when you talked about lead gen is, what's really key that you mentioned is that because being in, in the digital and the marketing marketing space, I, I think one of the only angles that a lot of other providers utilize is to make empty promises, because when you make empty promises to customers, it makes them feel warm and fuzzy. My approach to that is like, I know what works, but I'm not going to promise you the moon, because if I did that, that'd be stupid to do it because I don't know what I'm getting into. And, you know, I've been lucky, honestly, and it's interesting you mentioned this from a lead gen perspective is this that uh, with uh, there's been two industries over the last 68 months, roughly, that we've gotten into the were completely incoherent about, completely mm-hmm. incoherent about, like knew nothing about the target audience, the buyer personas, nothing. So we had to learn on the go. But here's what's fascinating about that is that when you have, like you said, strategy, when you have a proven game plan, I feel like it can be applied to a lot of different industries because it's a proven concept. Well, it's not really, it's a proof of concept. It's not a concept, it's a proof of concept, right? So it's interesting you said that though, because from a lead gen standpoint, I, I think there's a lot of empty promises on the marketing side and on the lead gen side specifically. But another thing that you also mentioned that I love to hear your thoughts on because I'm a huge believer in, you said business centric company culture. Now, the one thing that I personally experience being in the agency world for 13 years alone is that company culture is non-existent. And to these days, especially in the agency world, I feel like it's still non-existent. I mean, there's still there, there is some agencies out there, digital and social agencies that do embrace company culture. But like those are a few in between, you know, like I, I still feel like in 2021, like company culture is not something that businesses put an emphasis upon because I personally see it as a way to boost your retention. Like you said, you know, so I want to hear more about, you know, when you work with different clients, what are some of the, you know, uh, tactics or some advice that you give them about, you know, forging that company culture or improving that company culture? Um, and, and what are some of those, you know, tips that you can share for you know other small businesses, other entrepreneurs listening to the show?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I completely see where you're coming from. So let, let's face it, in, in this current environment, uh, firms, regardless of their size, they were cut off guard as far as transitioning to more of a remote operating model. I, I don't know who did this, but I saw a, a joke recently, and it was uh, who, who was really responsible for your, your digital transformation? Was it the COVID virus or was it IT, right? Right. Uh, unfortunately, for IT's sake, it was, it was COVID because a lot of firms were forced to adapt, yet they're yeah. still struggling, um, as odd as it sounds. So in my case, I've been fortunate where I've been working remotely primarily for the past 10 years. So other than the personal family element, it, from a business perspective, how I'm engaging with people, it hasn't been that different other than not doing the, the travel face to face. But it certainly is more challenging when you're not in the trenches with your teammates side by side. So the question becomes, how do you actually get more people engaged? How do you develop that camaraderie? Yeah. Um, and it you, you have to get creative because if you're not able to be face to face, you just have to set expectations, lay out the guidelines, uh, make sure that when you're talking to someone in a forum like this, that they're actually you know, paying attention, as odd as that sounds. So many people might be working their cell phone, right? Uh, You know, they might have another window open if they have two monitors. Um, So you have to put in guidelines in place uh, and really incorporate it into your standard operating procedures and, you know, remind people, send out best practices. Don't assume that everyone in your organization is as proficient as as the IT department is in right. how to properly navigate Zoom or whatever web share tool you're using. Um, but I, I think you also have to commit to uh, having in place not just conference calls, you know, over a Zoom that are business focused. You have to have intentional uh I guess check-ins with your team to one gauge their level of morale, uh, because I really do think that there is Zoom fatigue out there um, yeah. for, for many. Um, and you know, celebrate what you have accomplishment over over the past year since uh, you know COVID emerged in the U.S. and set the tone for what you're looking to accomplish. Uh, you know, over the next three, six, nine, and 12 months, right? Always remind yeah. the team what you collectively are striving to uh, achieve. Uh, I think often, you know, you might at the beginning of the year say, hey, here are our goals, but often yeah. leadership never actually informs the team how you're doing unless you're in sales. And they are far other big time contributors and the other departments that want to know how we're doing, you know, how are we doing on, on pace for the goal? Mm -hmm. You know, what's what's next? How can we get better? How can, how can we help? Um, So I I think it's, you have to get creative. It's not, don't hide behind uh, email. Don't hide behind texting. Don't hide behind IMs. Actually use the phone. If you are in an office, go into the person's, uh, office and talk face to face right know, at a distance right i actually have right. a a brother-in-law and he he jokes about how this this other high-level exec who sits two offices down from him is always just drilling them from emails and right he, he just walks into his office and he's like all right what what do you need you know just it's okay to talk live you know stop hiding behind yeah. like social and i am it's, it's,
0: you yeah. know it's uh I'm so glad that you said all of that, honestly, because, you know, I'm a firm believer that first of all, with the podcast, with the Ross project, there's a reason that people like you come on the show because there's so many, there's like-mindedness, so many similarities in. The things that, that that we collectively believe in, right? Is like they say, is you know, uh, uh, great minds think alike, and positive people, you know, surround themselves with positive people, and never see a positive person surround themselves with a negative person. They have nothing in common, right? So when you were talking about company culture specifically, there's a few things that that I personally believe in. So, be, be having agency experience in the past, and this is something that I'm doing with my own company. Is this that I'm a strong believer that if you forge strong company culture, that like you said, employees are going to be happier. You're going to have higher retention. You know, they're going to be excited about actually working with the brand if they they have to believe in the vision of the brand. And that's something that I personally have emphasized upon. Is and that's why we've we've gone down the human centric approaches because. You know we're very small but you know every couple of weeks we'll go out to lunch on a friday and we'll just shoot the shit or you know uh, interestingly enough you said in, in houston we actually have a client in houston i'm gonna be there next month so we'll definitely have to hook up you know but Thanks. we're down there and we're like went out to tacos and drinking tequila you know <laughs> bonding with our, with our client and then while we were shooting video all day long you know it's just like And what I realize is this that and and I'm so glad you mentioned this, is this that with employees specifically, you have to they have to feel like like they matter, that they have to feel like you've made an investment in them. You know, and I'm just talking about like benefits because that's pretty standard nowadays, but that you've made investment like you help them grow. Right. So one of the things that that I do internally is like always try to share to my social media coordinator is always like educational stuff. Like here's something that, you know, can level up your game. Here's something that you can, you know, uh, uh, use, you know, to become more knowledgeable, right. Like empowering them uh, actually to where they can become, you know, uh, more, more valuable to the organization. And that's just it. It's like, you know, one thing that I noticed is that, again, being in the agency world in the past, like, I feel like company culture was had a huge void, basically, because it was so about we gotta meet our quota. You know, we gotta we gotta focus on deliverables. You know, we gotta make sure we meet client expectations. Which in reality, what was happening is having led teams is you know we'd sign on a client, three months would pass by, and I have to get on a call and basically lie to them, because our team was unhappy (laughs) of actually coming to work because. You know, the principle, right, of the business just uh, was, was very derogatory or would come across as very negative. So it was, they were sending a va- bad vibe internally, you know? So when you were talking about all these things, I think it's important. And honestly, uh, I think when we look at like companies like Google, you know, that with the Googleplex and what they have built, you know, they've proven, and this has been what, 10, 15, probably 20 years ago. I guess however long the Googleplex now has been running is that they were one of the first to emphasize on company culture. Uh, And that's why they invested on, well, we've got, you know, uh, a chef, you know, you can order all this food while you're, Oh, we got a daycare. You can bring your kids here. Right. So like, and why does that make sense? Well, if employees feel more comfortable being in the working environment that they're in, they're more likely to perform higher. Be happier and also boost your retention as well. So it's like just keep employees happy, basically, you know, acknowledge them. Like you said, if you work in an office environment, which very much like yeah, I've worked remotely for very long, but you know, and if you're in a traditional environment, just walk over to their office, say, Hey, what's going on? You know, how's it going? It's Friday. You know, what you've been up to this week? You know, like what are you working on? You know, you got any plans this weekend? you can do doing anything with the kids? like that is a game changer, literally suddenly. And, and, and in fact, what's really ironic about what you said is one of my employees was like, I love my boss. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like I haven't actually heard that in the past. Like to say, I love my boss, but it really goes to attest to everything that you mentioned. But it's interesting also that at a high level, right? Like fortune companies, Right. I feel like there's not enough attention to company culture, it sounds like, because obviously you talked about that and, and you've worked with those kinds of brands in the past. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You bring up some good points. I mean, for for instance, if you are leading a division or you're in the C-level suite, it's essential to relate to your employees on a more down to earth personal level as opposed yeah. to drilling them in a staff meeting or just sending out random quarterly updates or giving an occasional all hands, uh, meeting, uh, yeah. and, you know, you're just going through the standard mumbo jumbo, Yeah. You know? right. So I think what you just alluded to doing the occasional drop in or encounter in the break room, if, if you have one, it certainly goes, goes a long way for, for sure. I completely concur with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad, like I said, you know, it's so ironic, you know, that, um, that, uh, uh, you mentioned that too, but, and I'm a firm believer of everything you mentioned, but let's talk more about, you know, the expansion and the growth popularity of the Rev Sherpas, uh, growth Academy. I know, you know, you guys have really hyper-focused on building this out. You know, tell us about what, what is that and how does it help, you know, companies, small to mid-sized businesses, right? Because you primarily work with small to mid-sized businesses, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. More more so in the, the small business arena, right? Um, mm-hmm. Typically, companies, 50 employees are, are less. Uh, you know, revenue range can can be up to 30 million, but probably closer to under five to 7 million. Um, so the Rev Sherpa's Growth Academy, I, I'm, I'm proud to, to say, is my online small business growth training portal. Uh, and it's utilized by three typical audiences. On the one hand, it could be a startup founder or early stage entrepreneur who more than likely is transitioning from the corporate space. Uh, maybe... They're about to embark upon their new entrepreneurial journey, or you know maybe they 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 already have and then they're just you know running in all sorts of different directions. They need to just tone it back, figure out how to master uh, really the the business fundamentals so that they can come out of the gates strong. Uh, but besides startup founders and early stage entrepreneurs, it's also used by more established business owners who are in need of a turnaround or. They're looking to really scale their business to the next level. And it essentially works like this. So it's more of a do-it-yourself model. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's designed to, to help business owners master the business development and marketing fundamentals. And they do so by every week. They'll receive a educational uh, video. And if they're tied up with something, uh, it's, everything's archived so they can go back into the system you know, whenever they have free time and, and really learn it, watch it twice. Uh, not only does it come with, with videos on strategies, tactics, um, it also has tools and templates that they can leverage such as industry-specific accelerators. And what I mean by that, we have pre-built um, marketing and advertising campaign templates broken down by industry market micro verticals. So, for instance, let's say uh, you're you're in the uh, service-based home home uh, home services industry. You're maybe you're a plumber, maybe you're a you mm-hmm. know an HVAC uh, provider. But let's face it, often those individuals are great at their trade, but they may need some. Assistance when it comes to how do they properly get their message out there? How do they engage in discussions when someone is interested in their services? And so uh, we'll have templates already built for them to save them time and to increase their overall conversions. Um, So it's a great opportunity. Now, that isn't the only consulting service that I offer, right? Um, But it's often at the cornerstone of any of my know, private consulting relationships.
0: Okay. Okay. So you basically have this powerful educational program that, you know, uh, small businesses can tap into that are, that don't have that education to really help them grow and scale. And like you said, it's more of like a DIY approach, right? So it's like, very much like an e-learning style that you jump into and, you know, you can, you can peruse through it at your discretion, which I know is big, you know, especially with small businesses, because if you're, I would probably say, you know, in the one to 5 million mark, I would say in in revenue, right. So you're more on like, you know, on the bottom end is that you're probably wearing a lot of multiple hats as well. And you're, you know, trying to grow and scale to where you can free up more of your time. But I think this is really great because, you know, it allows, um, you know, the CEOs, basically founders, you know, to um, uh, be able to go through it, you know, at their own discretion, on their own time, which I know is big because, you know, time is of an essence. This is actually one thing that I personally, um, you know, I've had to put a strong emphasis upon is the fact that, you know, time is valuable. It's the one thing that you can't get back. And so you have to make sure that you value your time because if you don't value your time, then your clients will value it for you. (laughs) 99% of the time they'll devalue it because they always want to get a bigger bang for the buck. You know, it's like, how can I stretch my investment? How can I stretch my monies? You know? So um, very cool. Very cool. Um, I would love to hear more about some of the strategic CRM stuff um, that you've done in, in the past, because I think, you know, there's a lot of small businesses specifically that terribly fail at this. I know I've failed at it multiple times. And, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the strategic or just the CRM in itself, really, and becoming valiant in your pursuit to utilize it on a regular basis can really grow and scale your business. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the strategic, you know, CRM things and, and what are some things that, you know, you've helped small businesses with, you know, that others, you know, could get value from.
1: Sure. Sure. So I I think the, the defining moment in my career where I became fascinated that you can actually make a living by delivering a, um, a well-defined CRM strategy was when I was at business school, I read this book. Um, by Don Peppers and Martha Rogers. It was called Managing Customer Relationships. And I was like, let me get this straight. You can actually uh, get paid to advise people to better serve their customers. And if they do so, more than likely, their customers will stay with them longer and you'll get more sales. And more than likely, the stock price of your company will will go up. So how easy is that? It sounds easy in principle, but very few companies are doing it. And in order to execute a sound CRM strategy, you know, one, you need to have a comprehensive 360-degree view of not just your customer relationships, but also your prospects, your referral sources, really any of your, your stakeholders, you know, all your suppliers and partners as well. And what's been great since the evolution of the CRM industry, I think you know, Salesforce, for instance, launched back in the late 90s. You know, yeah. It's been 20 years since then, and it's become a very competitive market. And there's a lot of great uh, software offerings in the small business CRM uh, market now. When you say CRM, a lot of people just assume that it automatically doesn't just come with a contact manager. It gives you your opportunity pipeline management. It gives you activity management. But also a lot of uh, you know new buyers assume that it will come with this robust lead gen and marketing automation tracker too, which, you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It depends on your, your understanding of the market. But my point is the the technology certainly got a lot better, but at the same time, it's, it's very affordable, but the trends I'm seeing is very few leverage it properly. Um, You know, many are still keeping track of their client meetings in a notebook or a spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, you've, you've seen movies like um, what is it? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where, you know, things are written on a napkin. That stuff still goes on, you know, yeah. People still keep business cards, you know, what do you do if you lose them? You know? Um, but at, at its core, it's not just um, a black book of your, your contacts, right? It's designed to really keep track of every single interaction advise you and, and remind you was that a good interaction what do you need to do to improve the relationship what's next you know what are you targeting for yeah um, are you con- considering or actually pursuing uh, deals that you want to eventually win and close right do they have any open customer service incidents or complaints with you that you immediately need to jump on and, and put sure. out? Um, but what's, what's great, it's so much easier than it used to be. You no longer need to have a dedicated IT department to, to really put in place integrations with, with other core data systems as well. So you could actually hook up your, your CRM with more powerful business intelligence and reporting uh, tools as well, just so that uh, you have maximum visibility and insights into how well your, your business is performing.
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, we're talking about CRM and, and why I asked this question is because um, I know I've personally had my own struggles with it, but um, I don't want to share as much about that. But you, you brought up a really good point is that I think with CRMs, um, it it sounds like with a lot of small businesses, it's, it's that gap of you know, the evolution and transitioning to something that, you know, is more cohesive, because like you said, running on a napkin or a notepad, I know my dad still does that, you know, <laughs> and it's just like, well, he's an old school <laughs> immigrant in a way and he just likes doing it that way. But uh, you make a really good point if you want to evolve and scale, you know, a CRM is essential, but even more so. And I saw this in the marketing spaces because I remember back in the day, we used things like Salesforce and even Marketo. Also, so I was exposed to things like that. But like in most cases, it was like, do we really need to pay five grand for this thing per month? Like are we really or something like Microsoft Dynamics, which I, I did a small project with. Uh, a company um, uh, uh, in the industrial space specifically, a pretty big uh, company, but uh, you know they were using something like Microsoft Dynamics, right? And like, I would question the versatility, the necessity of the CRM, because for me as a small business, I use something like rise by 37 Signals. You know, it's very small, it's robust, it does everything that I need it to do, but that's just it, it's based on needs. You got to figure out, because it wouldn't make sense to pay $2,500 per month for a CRM if I'm not even going to tap into 10% of its functionality. Like, that's just wasteful spending. You know what I mean? And so it's really interesting that you brought that up, because I do agree, because I think a CRM, like, in part, uh, you know, holds you accountable to, you know, the transactions that are happening in your business, right? It helps you with actually, you know, being able to track relationships, and this is something I, I personally, like Like I said, you know, uh, from, from a lead, potential lead to a prospect, to a potential customer, the evolution based on the sales uh, sales cycle, or I should say the sales funnel that they're flowing through and then what stage they're in, like that helps me, you know? And because let's face it, you can't, it, it's, it's absolutely counterintuitive <laughs> to write stuff down because the marginal error as a human that's largely part of it because you're going to make errors. You're going to forget to write something. So a a CRM, you know, really helps you keep track of things. And then, but the challenge with that is it's like anything else, right? It's like, you know, you can buy a $250,000 Lambo, right? But if you don't know how to drive it, it's just a car. You know what I mean? It's just a ginormous price tag. It's literally the same with CRMs. It's like you can splurge in a big CRM, but if you don't know how to use it or you don't invest the time to educate yourself on how to properly use it, then you're just wasting money on something. And I see I've seen that because I know I've made those mistakes as a small business owner. It's like I'll splurge on something and be like, Ivan, do you really need that? Like, is this a tool that you actually use? Or is this something that you were just curious about? So you spent money on it and then you tapped into maybe 5% of its functionality. And it's like, next, gone, done. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't need it. So um, that was a really good point, you know, talking about, um, you know, CRMs. And I firmly believe that any small business, small to medium-sized business, you know, should have, you know, a versatile CRM to help them grow and scale their business, manage their relationships. One thing that I noticed in your bio that I'm really curious uh, about uh, hearing your thoughts on is you said we also teach our client family members to get laser focus on their high highest, excuse me, income producing activities and empower them to develop and then apply the fundamentals that build multi-million dollar businesses. So let's unpack this because I think there's a lot of value in the statement. Tell me what you mean by client family members. And then how does that relate to becoming laser focused on, you know, generating highest income producing activities?
1: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So client family members represent my, my book of business, my beloved clients. Right. Mm -hmm. And what, we immediately do, and also on an ongoing basis, is devise a blueprint and a step-by-step roadmap that prioritizes the specific concrete action steps um, that our clients need to take in order to get where they want to go. So first of all, upon establishing the and going through the business evaluation of their operations, uncovering, identifying where the bottlenecks are, determining where they're leaking revenues and profits will determine what the appropriate strategies are that they need to to implement in order to actually uh, achieve not just their near-term goals, but long-term as well. And so at the core of that is the methodology to equip, enable, and empower them to focus truly on cash flow generating activities. So the old 80-20 rule, right? So in, in reality, 20% of what you're doing for the most part is going to produce 80% of your results. And you know, there's other ways to elaborate or or, or spin that, but that in yeah. a nutshell is, is the basic you know, business principle that's been proven over and over. So if you truly have an understanding of your ideal target market, you've refined and locked in your messaging on how you're uh, solving for your prospect and clients' needs, problems, and challenges. And then you're actually executing on what you say you're going to do, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. You'll, you'll be ahead of the game. But often, uh, as business owners, uh, sometimes you're a solopreneur, even if you have a small team You get pulled in so many directions and you kind of lose track of the revenue generating activities. So if you instead can focus less on the admin, if you can put systems in place, if you can partner with other leading firms, if you can outsource non-revenue producing activities so that you can capitalize on your core competencies, which... Inevitably, you need to learn how to bring money in the door, right? So sure. that's really what we're trying to uncover and, and the the plan that we're essentially going to provide to our, our customers.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh, I absolutely agree with that because uh, you mentioned, you know, non-revenue generating activities, and that's been something that, you know, I've been thinking about is especially, uh, I mentioned this briefly, you know, uh, earlier on before we hit record is, you know, now having a potential investor interested, you know, in my businesses has really be, uh, uh, you know, an eye opening experience, I should say, for me, it has really gotten me thinking. Um, and one thing I really liked about what they said is this, that, you know, the most entrepreneurs stop at cash flow. And and they think that I don't have the money, you know, to spend, so I can't grow and evolve. So it's a it's a limiting mindset almost, which I'm a huge proponent for mindset development and personal development specifically, because um, one of my favorite quotes by Tony Robbins is, you know, business is 90% psychology and 10% execution. And um, you know, uh, I've realized that well, you know what? Shit, I've always had good psychology, I just didn't exercise it. You know, I just you know was looking at what everybody else was doing, right? But you also talked about, you know, identifying your target audience, which is key. And, you know, as a small business, which, by the way, I think I think you can know who your target audience is or your specific buyer persona, which I think more from a marketing standpoint, average business has at least five or about five, you know, but identifying those people, right? Like their demographic, their age, you know, the industries, the verticals, you know, um, uh, how much money, revenue, gross, you know, they bring in. Um, I, one thing that I've noticed is like that's a very, that can be a very time consuming endeavor, you know, because you actually have to experience enough. And uh, I think, at least personally, from, you know, a lot of our entrepreneurs that I've seen that have built, you know, eight and nine figure businesses, you know, have talked about how, man, like it just takes time. You know, that's like one of those things. It just takes time. It's not like an overnight thing because a lot of it is about, you know, experiencing and seeing, you know, like I know we've worked with, you know, from a marketing standpoint, a lot of different industries, some were fruitful, others weren't. And then I've also thought, uh, you know, thought about the fact, and this is really key that you mentioned is that should there really be a niche, you know? Should we really develop a niche and just like hone in on it? Because I'm one of those people that like maybe just because the person that I am is like, I didn't want to necessarily say, all right, well, I just specialize in automotive and we do automotive marketing and that's it. You know, that's all we're gonna do because I feel like that's a very uh, limited approach because then I'm limiting myself to an industry. When I know that, especially from digital marketing standpoint is that we can service a lot of different industries and a lot of different verticals. So why not tap in, right? So it's a really good point that you talked about, you know, understanding your target audience, specifically for small businesses. And I think you know, that takes time to actually experience that, to understand which of those industries are fruitful and then really say, okay, this is my target audience. This is who's our, uh, who's our ideal co- uh, customer, right? That we wanna work with based on history because you probably know this, you know, being in the consulting space too, is that there's a lot of forecasting and the forecasting is based on historical progress, right? So um, I know we chatted a lot and we can share a whole bunch more. I wanna say thank you for, you know, coming on the show and, and sharing all your knowledge. But before we sign off, if you could let viewers and listeners know, how can they connect with you in the digital space, throw out some handles, some websites, anything and everything. so they know how to connect with you. Sure. Absolutely.
1: Again, it was a pleasure being on, on the show. And uh, if your listeners want to reach out to me, they, they can reach me in in the following capacities. One, I I encourage them to go to um, my online training Academy, which is Rev Sherpas growth academy.com. And right at the very top, they'll be able to uh, download a complimentary copy of my, first book entitled Exponentially Outperform in Any Economy. And there's also a contact us button there. Uh, They could reach me that way. Um, I'm easy to get a hold of on LinkedIn and on Twitter. I'm at Kevin M. Wessels and uh, certainly um, consistently providing personal development, business development and and leadership uh, development articles through various social platforms uh, that they can Uh, take advantage of as well
0: awesome well kevin thank you so much for coming on the show i really enjoyed it you you dropped a lot of knowledge bombs you know uh around business and 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 consulting and and scaling and growing a business and uh i'm sure that viewers and listeners will definitely get value out of it uh and once again thank you so much for your time
1: yeah yeah this was a blast thanks for having me let's do it again